Excellent. An ale for me. And for my officers. In fact, ales for everyone. Turn backwards. With Rick and Rick and Will and Zemma. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to 10 Backwards, a UK-based Star Trek podcast featuring myself, Will Turland, um, this lady to the right of me, Gemma Turland. Hello. A man over the internet called Rick Everson. Hello. And another man over the internet called Rick Palmer. Hello there. Now, for our 100th episode, we recorded quite a few interviews with other Star Trek podcasters and we were talking about what they why they podcast about star trek mm-hmm. it was a really interesting um episode if i do say so myself <laughs> yeah i think it's a good one and if you haven't listened to it yet listeners go go back and listen to that um but we we so then we come re- back and listen to this yeah thank yeah yeah, yeah. don't forget about this yeah but, put, put a bookmark here at this spot <laughs> you can return right to it yeah, you'd have to listen to that preamble again. So you've you've saved that time. <laughs> anyway, what I'm trying to say is, we we recorded a lot of um, We recorded a lot of interviews, and we didn't actually use that much of the interviews in the episode because um, we didn't want it to be uh, eight hours long. <laughs> so, but the interviews were so good and so interesting. We thought it'd be really good to put them out um, in full. Now they're they're mostly in full. I've done a little edit to edit out any like awkward pauses or bits where we just mess something up. <laughs> you know, we've got to save face somehow. Somehow. <laughs> but they sort of they are ninety percent unedited, I'd say. So um, yeah, so we, we're going to do a series of of episodes featuring those interviews. So well, let's start with um, the interview we did with Rich Masters of Tapons Theatre in Subspace. Uh, hi, I'm Rich Masters. Um, I'm a career writer, I guess is um, an adequate description of what I do now. Um, so I'm one of the writers for Tapons Theatre on Subspace, which is a, uh, it's sort of a podcast. It's more a comedy serialised drama um, set in the Star Trek universe. Um, it's very, very uh, comedy-based. It's not serious in the slightest, except when we decide we need a bit more pathos. Uh, but, yeah, so we've been going strong for about two seasons now. Um, the podcast started off as a joke and has become something a little bigger. There's about ten of us that work on it regularly. Um, it's professionally produced. Um, we've got a guy who does complete music for it um and it's professionally edited um we've got a team of four writers it's insane it's uh it's a very i was saying earlier about how everyone loves the labor of love this is a real labor of love because there's so many people working on it but it's uh yeah it's uh difficult at times but ultimately very enjoyable for us how did you get involved with it oh so um it's insane. So we were all fans of um, a podcast called M Class Podcast, which is still going. It's by uh, two guys called Josh Henderson and Jeff Pennington, and they do a episodic book club of Star Trek. Um, and uh, 
some of the fans started writing in fan fiction, which is essentially like their own characters that exist in the universe of the two podcasters. Um, and then we started writing scripts uh, that would be episodes. And then those episodes became full treatments and then they became full scripts. And then we decided, well, you know, let's do it properly and let's uh, write a podcast based around that. And it started off the first season was an in-joke. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, wasn't as successful as some of the other stuff that we've done. But uh, it's season two took a turn where we essentially just started writing seriously. Um, and it's become, yeah, a, a, a lot more focused and a lot more serious and a lot more, a lot more fun to produce as well. So I guess your your Star Trek podcast stands out slightly differently in that it's it's fiction rather than a sort of discussion podcast. Yeah, so it, it as I said, it does exist in the Star Trek universe, but it it's based around those ideas that you know those water cooler jokes that you tell about you know like. One of the things that started the podcast was um, my friend David said to me, um, do you think they have DJs um, and radio in Star Trek? And we we batted it about back and forth for a little while and just then it became like a bit that we were doing. Um, and our main character, who's called Tapon, is a Vulcan DJ who runs a ship dedicated to trying to find logic in music um and he is a complete idiot basically all the characters are idiots apart from the captain who is um the only competent person on board um but yes uh it just started like that it started really it started with jokes it started with jokes and then it became a story that we told. It was sort of like campfire stories um, that turned into scripts. It was really strange, but it's not a standard podcast. No, it's a serialised drama, essentially, like those old pulps that you used to get that influenced um, Indiana Jones and Flash Gordon and stuff like that, which is how we imagined it, but with lots of dick and butt jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cool. Um, So what is it... (sighs) What is it, do you think, about Star Trek that draws so many people to want to talk about it or to to write fan fiction about it and kind of to do something creative around Star Trek? Why, like, why Star Trek? That's the question. I think it's a it's, it's definitely a, a, a thing that I can't ultimately pin down, but for. Well, in in order to speak for everyone, um, but for me, and I think for a lot of the people who write TTOS, it's that there is this whole world that you can mine for information and for humorous exchanges and stories and stuff like that. Um, I was always fascinated by um, some of the minor characters in Star Trek that are mentioned once and never mentioned again, or characters like... Ben Sisko's dad, like he runs a restaurant. What are the logistics behind that? Like, does how it does getting providers and you know there is a replicator at the corner of every street potentially. Why do people still go to restaurants? It's those sort of questions that I find super fascinating. Like, 
why do do people have um do people have body image issues in star trek when all of your food is replicated so you know technically it should all be healthy um, you know it's those sorts of questions that i just i love those what if questions um and i think it just it's it's literally a literary gold mine for for those what if questions but also every episode of star trek is a massive morality play um and I love what if questions. I I just love it. I used to love what if comics and stuff like that, and um, episodes of the Outer Limits and episodes of the Twilight Zone. And Star Trek is that in a serialized form. It's just it's always been an analysis of who we are and what we do and the choices that we make. And I love that. I love that sort of mirror that Star Trek holds up against us. Um, and then we perverted it into a, a podcast that tells lots of off-colour jokes and things like that. But um, I think there's lots of room for there's room for pastiche and parody and fan fiction and in-universe stories, but also lots of lots of talk and chat and analysis and argument about Star Trek. You can you can talk about any element of Star Trek and you can debate it. If it's replicators or ship design or who would who would be the best captain if you want to reduce it down to its lower elements. And it's just so fascinating. It's such a big world and a big well to draw from. And I think that's it. That's why there's so much so much analysis of it is that there is such a deep rich history and a deep rich story that's funny that you mentioned cisco's restaurant because mm. we we have become hung up on uh, cisco's <laughs> restaurant many many times and even like an even sort of deeper cut than that we we could become not just um interested in cisco's dad and what why is he running a restaurant but the um there's that episode where that sort of DS9 two-part where they go back to Earth. Yeah. And has Cisco's dad has a sort of kitchen hand called Nathan. Nathan. Yeah. yeah. Nathan. Yeah. Because like what in a, in a society where there isn't any money anymore. And so people can seem to be able to sort of choose a job that they want to do to kind of better themselves. What, why would you why would you be a kitchen hand in another man's restaurant? <laughs> but I do kind of feel like that there is a nobility in that, isn't there? That knowing your place in the universe is not as a head chef. Maybe it is as the sous chef or something like that, or the kitchen hand, or the person who scrubs the potatoes before they're peeled. Mm. But you can be so, you know, maybe we as a species and as people stretch a little too far sometimes because we're, you know, concerned that we don't have enough money or there are ideals that are put on us, such as, you know, we need a house or we need two kids or something like that, or we need a partner. But if there's a, a you know, in a post scarcity society, maybe you can just be who you want to be. And I find that that's that's such a romantic idea of, you know, I know my place in the world and and in the universe. And I can just, you know, get up on a Monday and not be stressed about work because I'm only the kitchen hand and I'm super happy. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's just wonderful. I'd love that to be something everyone in society can experience. 
could it could be that Nathan um, maybe Nathan comes from a long sort of family history of, of you know people who worked in like in that area and those sort of kitchens and so maybe that's that's the tradition he wants to carry on that's his family line but also in a society where there is no need and there is no need to uh, I don't know climb the ladder there's no snobbery involved yeah. with positions yeah. as well yeah and I as you say you find yourself comfortable and no one else is creating any um negativity towards that yeah i have a um a real uh affinity for that lifestyle because i used to work in a very corporate world and then i decided i hated it and became a writer so you know i stopped doing what i was good at and started doing what i loved um and so whenever I f- think about those sorts of people in Star Trek, the the people who want to be non-com or who want to just be ha- happy being a lieutenant or, you know, selling their art on a corner or, you know, giving their art away, um, that's just fantastic. People are entitled then to, uh, you know, and, and are able to pursue their dreams rather than pursue money. That's just that would be so amazing if we could do the things we loved without any fear of being, you know, kicked out onto the streets, living under a bridge somewhere or something like that. Um, we didn't have to worry about our family security because we knew they'd always be secure. Um, but we could, you know, if we wanted to sit and read for the rest of our lives or paint or write poetry or be a teacher and work the hours we wanted to work and, and lo- truly loved what we did every single day. That's just, that's a Star Trek future that I want to be a part of. That sort of further quest to better yourself every day, but by doing the things you want to do and love to do rather than things you're told you have to do. Yeah, I mean, you could you could spend your days just recording back-to-back Star Trek podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, exactly. And uh, Yeah, no one would, would bat an eyelid. Yeah. No, no one would listen to them. <laughs> no, no, the Federation News Service awash with podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's a, that's a great uh, way to look at the world of Star Trek. I think, um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I I think that'd be a great world to live in if we if we could just do the do the sort of creative things that we want to do without worrying about. Yeah, <clears throat> about where where the money is coming from. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are. Uh, some people will say that they're they're not creative in any way, and I think that they've become a product of their society in a way. In that they're told that there's no money in it, so that they don't try, and that's just it feels horrible to me because everyone's creative in their own right. I th- I think I think everyone is you know capable of thinking something thinking of something different that no one's ever thought of before or some sort of depth of imagination that is might go unplumbed because they have been told to just focus on i don't know being an estate agent or something like that um and they could have been you know the greatest writer who ever lived and that just that makes me so sad thinking of that there's like hundreds and hundreds of people who aren't well, I mean, there's millions of people not doing what they want to do with their lives. But in Star Trek, everyone can do what they want. 
if you want to be in Starfleet, you can be in Starfleet. If you want to be a lawyer, you can, you have the time and the you don't have to pay the money to study law. Um, yeah, it'd be great. I I, I don't know what oh, I'd still be a writer, I imagine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'd probably be a bit more prolific because I wouldn't have to worry about you know working to earn money. Um, yeah, it'd be fantastic. You, and plus, you could replicate whatever you wanted, so you wouldn't even have to worry about oh, someone's got that you know comic that I want that I can't get anymore. I just replicate it from a replicator. You wouldn't have any stresses, and apart from you know interstellar war and stuff like that. But how many people does that really touch on Earth anyway? <laughs> yeah, that's it. They they say in DS Nine, Earth is a paradise. Yeah. Yeah they say there is there is one one problem with that and where do you what do you attach value to if as you say everything can be replicated and everything is attainable where do you attach value oh that's a really good point i suppose the things that you can't replicate so your friends and stuff like that your connections your ugh, your family you know <laughs> all those um, all those mushy bits that you know, you can't control and replicate. And I suppose people would become less, uh, they would become less uh, materialistic, wouldn't they? But then yeah. I always think like, do you remember the episode where uh, Cisco comes back with the Defiant and he's got all of his African uh, art out of storage and he's like, oh, this is the, the biggest collection of African art and it's original. I mean, obviously that wasn't replicated. So how got this stuff? Where has he got all this stuff from? I can imagine Cisco going around robbing um, uh, museums and <laughs> deals and stuff like that. Like, how has he got all this stuff? Um, but then I suppose if the whole the whole of humanity aren't materialistic, maybe you can specialise and, and think, I'm really interested in this and no one else is interested in it because they can just replicate it. So, you know, I'm rambling a lot here. <laughs> Maybe maybe he just pulled rank and yeah. was like, yeah. I'm, um, I'm an admiral now, I'll have these. <laughs> you, you talked a little bit earlier on, Rich, about how you, like your, the, the podcast that you, that you do, you, you're mm. involved in, kind of evolved from conversations about the, the sort of the minutiae of yeah. the Star Trek universe. Is, are there things that you would like to see more of in Star Trek um, about that world that we haven't seen yet. Oh God, yeah. I'd like to see things about the academy. I'd like to see how people like what do they teach. What do they teach? Do they teach? Uh, I mean, to what level do they teach as well? It's just these are the these are the sort of questions that I could you know I, I would go into a spiral of um, <laughs> just not knowing. Do they teach every culture in the Federation? Because that's a lot of planets. Do they teach? So if they're teaching science, at what point do they stop? Do they teach science based on culture? Do they teach it based on? Because every every culture must have its own aptitude towards different elements of science and different disciplines. Um, but yeah, like I, I the age old question, which is a bit superfluous about, you know, does the transporter kill you and create a copy? And I don't believe it does because it just sounds stupid to me. But um, but stuff like that is always great jumping off boards for um, 
for discussion and stuff like that. And I, I just, I love episodes that are based on lower decks characters. Um, and I don't mean the ca- cartoon, although I do love the animated series. But um, I really like the who's doing the worst jobs. My, one of my absolute favourite Star Trek characters is Reg Barkley, um, because I think he's literally the bravest man in Starfleet because um, he he is scared of everything and doesn't have to be in Starfleet, but he still puts on his uniform every day and does something. And that is so admirable to me. Um, and I like, I would love to hear more about those sorts of characters, those characters who work in smaller departments and are really small cogs in the machine um, because they're, I, I want to know, I know what um, Jean-Luc Picard's rationale for joining Starfleet is, and I know what Kirk's rationale for joining Starfleet was, or Dax, or whoever. But I, what was Cito Jax's rationale for joining Starfleet, or continuing with it, um, after what happened at the Academy? And... You know, what drove her to be who she was? Those sorts of things are uh, things I'd like to see Star Trek really delve into. The smaller ideals of what it means to live in the Federation, where you potentially don't have an impact on the grander design and the grander decisions. Um, So, you know, Wolf 359 is happening, but it's happening light years away. And you are Nathan, the kitchen hand at Citigo's. And you are panicked about what to do, but you've got to bake a cake or (laughs) scale a fish. How do you reconcile those two ideas that there is an infinitesimally large universe outside your door, but you are picking scales off a catfish? That is just fascinating to me. That's so weird. Um, Yeah, it's those sorts of things that I'd, I'd like to see star trek on the micro scale as well as the macro uh, macro scale i'd really like to see how it impacts the smallest of us yeah cool, cool. <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people will say the opposite they want to they want to see the furthest reaches of the galaxy and i'm talking about the guy who scales the fish no, no i can i completely agree i i think i think i think you're right though it's it's um it's it, the areas that you talked about are—it's not often we get that sort of insight into the world, and I think that's why often bottle episodes can be a person's favorite episode mm-hmm. of a series because you do get that insight into a character, like this, yeah. just the 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 less important elements of their life, where you get where you just get to have some time with a character, and it's not them on a mission or saving the universe. It's just it's just some time spent with the character. Yeah, um, one of my absolute favourite episodes of TNG is Chain of Command, and not for the reasons that most people say that that's their favourite episode. I love seeing the Cardassian attitude towards family. I liked seeing that they had um, what they ate for breakfast, um, the things they told other people about humans um, they told their fellow Cardassians about humans, like the folk tales and stuff like that, that they didn't love their children. Stuff like that is so world building and there's so much lore wrapped up into it. And I think that's just, that's 
that's kind of the micro that I want that I think think is so interesting. Like, how did how did they decide that was okay to tell their children that? Well, obviously because it's a militaristic society, but um, but like, how do promotions work really work on a Klingon ship if you can't fight? You know, there must be Klingon bakers and stuff like that. <laughs> they find honor in their job. Um, they're the sort of questions that I just think. I'd really like to know. I'd really like to go and be a Xeno uh, specialist and go on a on a uh, the Klingon homeworld and see like what well, that guy's that guy's just a mime artist on the corner. Where is he finding honour? Um, that guy's fishing. I've gone back to fish again, but you know, it, it's so strange. It's it's the areas of society that we don't get a chance to look at. Maybe it's because um, there's a there's a Klingon restaurant on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, maybe cool. instead of killing the killing that guy, maybe you just if you cook a better meal than him, you get his restaurant <laughs> rather than killing him. Yeah, yeah. Or you play a better accordion tune. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah or, you, or you mime a better invisible frame of glass. <laughs> mime I've been stuck in the box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But there's so much we don't see there's so much we don't see in star trek and it's just like every series that comes out every every new episode i just think oh there's going to be a new nugget of information that just adds to this world um and i just devour it even the stuff i don't particularly love um i still always think there's a there's an element to it that just adds to the collective consciousness of star trek which is great one uh, one question we we were asking people, which, and I feel like we've sort of touched on that mm. to some extent already, is what is what is your what's your favourite or what sort of Star Trek series do you lean to most, and do you, do you have a favourite episode? I mean, my series is DS Nine. Um, it's because it's more as a, as a I'm going to sound really poncy here as a quote unquote writer. Um, it's just it 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 gets it hits my two big interests narrative storytelling and star trek and i loved tng because it was um like it's really commonly overused parlance when talking about tng but that it's a set of morality plays and a question is posed each episode and fought over and answered and that's great but tn uh, but df9 had this really thick narrative vein running through it that it was just so compelling and it was bingeable and every episode felt like even even some of the early ds9 episodes do so much to add to um that collective story the even i'm going through a rewatch at the moment um and Emissary is such a great episode in terms of talking about Cisco's loss and coming to terms with it and the the fact that you're always stuck in in that sense of grief that you have. And he carries it with him throughout the story and it drives his decision-making process and you can see that. Um, and it's just, it's so great. DS9 is, is just amazing and it's always going to be my favourite 
until it's not until i decide that i you know love love an episode of tng more or an episode of voyager more or something like that you know it will always be my favorite um it's so great it's so great even the worst episodes of ds9 i'll happily watch um apart from profit and lace which i feel is slightly problematic but um, <laughs> but uh you know it's not perfect but then what star trek is right <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> definitely yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think DS Nine is is the best series. Mm. I think it's the the best the best written, and it's yeah. it's got the best storytelling. But t- TNG is always it's always going to be my favorite because that's that's where I sort of got into Star Trek, and that's that's what I kind of grew up with. Yeah, I think. But but I but I think DS Nine is is the best. <laughs> yes. I think you pick uh, people of. Typically, people of our age, I think. I assume we're of an age. Um, but I think we grew up with TNG, so it always holds that place in our heart. And we either decide, okay, DS9 is probably better, and I hate to admit it, or we're clutching on to, <laughs> no, TNG is, is the best, because that's what I grew up with. Um, I always tell myself that Transformers is great until I have, until I go back and watch some of it, and I just think, no, you're ruining your childhood. Just mm-hmm. keep it in the past where it belongs. Um, but at least TNG, I know that is always going to be good. <laughs> it's not always good. No, Code of Honor is not good. <laughs> Code of Honor will always be terrible. There are a few bad bad episodes of TNG and I think like some of the unforgivable sins of TNG are the fact that um, it does treat its female characters abysmally at times um, and that really bothers me Um, so you know Beverly has a few episodes where she's almost shoehorned in because you know she is a mother and a doctor and a carer but outside of those things Sometimes it's hard to see who she is if she's not framed by Picard and the past and her dead husband. And it's like, well, she is a character in her own right. Maybe you should have written something that she could have for herself. And then Deanna, 80s lady Troy, who is, I love chocolate and I love emotions. And it's kind of like, oh, good God. Like those characters, those characters deserved so much better than they got at times. Um, but you, we overlook that. We overlook that because when they're good, they're great characters. Like, you know, you think about episodes like Remember Me and Cause and Effect and, and, and those characters are really strong in those sorts of episodes mm-hmm. and you forget about clip shows and alien impregnation and, <laughs> and you know, romantic candles and <laughs> and you sort of gloss over those things because you know that there's such better episodes i can't separate the feeling of what how i originally felt when i watched stuff so i can remember watching tng with my dad when i was younger um but like before even my little brother was born so that must have been i must have been about six um and i can remember watching specific episodes like cuddled up to my dad on the sofa and this is this is a real sort of like you know cats in the cradle moment um but you know (laughs) i can i can remember that and when i watch tng 
I feel that and I get the the urge to call my dad and stuff like that and talk about the episodes and things. And I think we all have that a little bit. I, I remember watching the emissary, uh, emissary with him and, and just thinking, oh, my God, there's a new Star Trek series coming out. And whenever I watch that episode, I just instantly remember that feeling. Um, so I think although, you know, people with anxiety do it, I think people who have... Um, a high degree of emotional connection to it as well. I think we associate our feelings with like those pleasant experiences of watching Star Trek and they've stayed with us and the majority of fans for a long time. And I think we feel that again, we feel it really keenly. And I think that's why like so many fans can't disconnect the actor from the character as well, because they see Brent Spiner at a, a con and they think, Oh my God, it's data. And I remember how data made me feel that time. He made me feel like a person with an identity. And I think that's something special that lots of people lose. And I think it's important that we don't lose it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I find that um, I sometimes have a, a, a joyful experience when I'm watching something. Yeah. I kind of take a step back and say, oh, "This, uh, this is really good. I, I can't wait to rewatch this." <laughs> yeah. Already excited. <laughs> the time I, got. I haven't even finished watching it for the first time. Yep, yep. But, but mentally, I'm like, oh, put, "Get this into my rewatch list. Can't wait." Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you can rewatch an episode that you didn't used to like, and then you finally you like it now. I've, I've definitely found mm. that as well. I've, yeah. I've come yeah. to appreciate stuff that I didn't when I was a uh, when I was younger <coughs> I think <coughs> excuse me I think when I was younger I was more into the sort of the action episodes and the big episodes of stuff like TNG but yeah. rewatching it <coughs> often it's the often it's the episodes with a smaller story that do a bit of character development that uh, that you start to enjoy I mean I never was a huge fan of an episode like Lessons mm-hmm. when I was growing yeah. up but I love that episode now I yeah, think it's okay. great Okay. I um yeah. I always loved yeah I always loved the action episodes like everyone loved I remember every single Star Trek fan loved Best of Both Worlds when it mm. came out and it it will always stay in that, <coughs> in that in that sort of like bracket of best ever episodes but I find as I get older episodes like the Drumhead just keep rising to the surface and that episode is an hour long conversation of set-piece, back-and-forth conversations. No action happens at all in that episode. Everything happens in two-shot for the majority of it, and everything is one-on-one conversations. And it is just superbly written. And it's so great with so many quotable lines of Star Trek that just are as relevant now, if not more relevant now, than when they were written. Um and it's just it's just bubbled to the surface as like one of my absolute favourites. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Like we just take. I think that that's another reason Star Trek is just so enduring, though, isn't it? Is is that every time you watch it, there's some new lens you can put on it, some new facet that you take away, something. So I I watch rewatch TNG with my wife. I had never noticed Picard's crystal. You know the thing he plays with when in his office in the ready room. 
Please tell me you've noticed this before. I I don't think I have. So he has a shard of crystal on his desk and he constantly picks it up and plays with it. (laughs) And once you see it, you can never unsee it. He's always got it. He's always holding it. Whenever he's talking to someone in the ready room, he's playing with this length of pink crystal. And I had never noticed it before until my wife pointed it out. And it's in so many episodes. It's insane. And I had I had watched TNG, I would say, God, at least 20 times, at least. Um, and I had never noticed this before in my life, in any episode. And now I can't. He, it's, he's playing with it in every episode, virtually. It's insane. I had never noticed it before. And I love stuff like that. I wasn't even paying attention. His performance is normally so commanding that I never really watch what he's doing with his hands. Um, but yeah, now you'll never be able to not unsee it. <laughs> yeah, now that's all I'm going to be looking for. <laughs> this is this is an amazing kind of Google rabbit hole yep. about Star Trek that I've never jumped down before. Yep. And I'm- I'm a little bit excited. <laughs> I know where my evening's taking me now. It's like the first time you notice um, Ensign Jay and how she's everywhere. <laughs> Am I saying something other that's new? Um, but, like, she is everywhere. She's in so many scenes. Just this random Ensign that just appears and disappears and she's in 10 forward. And another thing that my wife noticed is that, you know, she's always there. She's always there. She's like up the back at the science stations. She's in 10 forward ordering a drink or sitting next to Picard when there's poetry readings and stuff like that. And it's insane. She's everywhere. And I've never <laughs> noticed it before. Ah, <laughs> oh, mate, I bet she was just a, a really available extra. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, so available. <laughs> I think she was at DST last year, wasn't she? Ah, oh, right. Was she? Yeah, I think she was. <laughs> So there you go. That's that's the amazing thing about Star Trek is that you can discover new things about it like thirty years later. Yeah, indeed. I I just yeah, it's it's insane the things you notice and the things that you gloss over because you're so you're listening to a performance or you're engrossed in what they're saying. Um, yeah, I I and up until a few years ago, I never noticed that the Mintakan. Uh, tapestry that Picard is given is put on the back of his chair in his ready room um, after that episode. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that one I did notice, but not the other two you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had not noticed that either. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned it, I do remember, I, I know what you're talking about. I know I know the thing that you mean that's yeah. that's back of, I just I just didn't know that there was like a before I don't don't remember the episode where he gets it and then it's and then it's there it's I wonder um, how many scenes there are of Picard going into his ready room and going oh it's fallen on the floor again and he has to go <laughs> and get it off the floor and put it up and redrape it on the back of the chair because that always yeah. happens when I put a scarf on the back of my work chair it always falls down the back <laughs> he might have uh, sewn some velcro into it and really yeah yeah it. yeah <laughs> He must get given a lot of stuff, though. I, mean, I wonder where he keeps the rest of his. But I guess there's, we see his um, his knickknack um, vault in Picard, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although yeah. the uh, Kerlin Nesca 
wouldn't be in that because he just threw it to one side. <laughs> yeah. Generations. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. I've never seen someone go from this is the greatest thing I've ever seen to can't give a shit. Yeah. And in, in, in a relatively small, short period of time. Yeah. yeah. He was too excited to get his photo album where every photo had that kind of sparkly surround. Oh, yeah, that 90s um, photo booth effect around every (laughs) photo. We need that to know that they're space photographs, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. That was that. That was a real thing in that at uh, that time, wasn't it? That that if it was sci-fi, everything had to be e- even a photograph had to be futuristic. To yeah. A bit. I do. I do think. I do think Battlestar Galactica went some way to kind of turning that around and saying, actually, we don't always need that. No, although every piece of paper doesn't need corners for some reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> what yeah. is that about? That's much harder to turn a page. I don't get that at all. Why, no. why do corners not exist? In fact, there's more corners the way they cut it. Yeah. <laughs> that makes no sense. There's no sort of that's that's not like a natural evolution for a sh- shape, is it? A, no. a, a, like a reading shape. Um, my wife said to me as well, because she's watching Battlestar Galactica with me for the first time, and she said, why are they wearing their vests backwards? They're, they're like a muscle vest backwards. And I was like, no, they're not. Don't be an idiot. And then they are literally a vest that they're wearing backwards. What is the evolution of that? Where did, where did that come from? You just have to wear two vests. It makes no sense. This is the minutiae I'm talking about. This is, uh, this is the why has this happened? Why is this? Why has how has this come about? Two vets, you buffoons. <laughs> Maybe there's something about like the sensation of having a, having the tickly label. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they get. They always have really hot arms, but cold bodies <laughs> in their society. So they, yeah. uh, so they need to balance it out. Well, the, most Maybe. of them are so jacked. I'm not surprised their arms are hot. <laughs> they, they are just they are just workout machines. I suppose though, if, if you if you're on uh, the a caravan to the stars as the last of the race, you Not don't that. really have a lot of other outlets, do you? Other than going to the gym, I, I think it's because it's really difficult to turn a page in a book because there's no flipping <laughs> corners. Yeah, no one can read. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like every time you turn a page you get that you're burning those extra calories building that muscle or you're cutting yourself on all of the extra corners so yeah. no one no one wants to read anymore oh i've had it with this book let's go to the gym <laughs> um before before we finish actually um rich do you just want to tell tell the listeners where they can uh, I, I presume you're you are on twitter aren't you oh yeah yeah so um i personally i'm on twitter um i'm at masters rich um ttos uh sorry tapon theater on subspace can be found at at tapon on subspace or at ttos.cool which is a very 90s website. <laughs> but um, all of uh, the shows, um, all of the people involved with the production of the show, all their um, Twitter info and art info and editing info and um, the guy who does our music, Fiddison, all his info is all on ttos.com. Nice. Cool. Cool. Excellent. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for, for talking to us, Rich. No worries. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no worries. Rick missed out. He did, yeah. He did. Wait, you'll have to wait another year to hear my dulcet tones. <laughs> Do you realise how incredible this is? It's tradition! You ever noticed that bum? What? That bum! Oh, no! I will say... I will say... Fewer things. Fewer things. Okay. Enough of this self-indulgence. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, our website is www.loweredexradio.co.uk. You can reach us on the Twitters at at 10 backward, 10 being the number and backward being the word backward. We're also on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash 10 backward podcast. You can also email us at crew at loweredexradio.co.uk. On a personal, individual level, my Twitter is at Will Turland. Rick Everson's Twitter is at TrekFanRick. And Rick Palmer's Twitter is at Mr. Imhotep. Hi, thank you again for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you might consider supporting us. We have now have a Patreon uh, where people can uh, pledge small amounts to fund our ongoing projects like uh, keeping our website up to date, uh, um, new audio equipment as we're going along and potentially uh, opportunities to expand our content uh, you can go look at this at patreon.com forward slash loweredexradio uh, if you don't feel you can donate but would still like to support us we would love it if you could subscribe to us or however get your podcasts through iTunes, Stitcher Google Play or we're on various third party apps and if you could leave us a review on any of those that would be fantastic and would be very appreciative Thanks again for listening, and please tune in for more podcasts from the 10 Backward Crew. Let's make sure history never forgets the name. 10 Backward? Laddie, don't you think you should rephrase that? 10 Backward. 10 Backward.